Hello and welcome to another episode of Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum. And Grow Like a Pro is a show all about learning how to achieve your goals and dreams as a business owner and also how to grow as a person and find, you know, tips and tools to find that success you're looking for. And this week, we have someone very special to kind of share his journey to how he found success. And Ron, I'd love to welcome Pat McLaughlin, a member of the classic rock band Circle, the front man of the Gas Pump Jockeys, and the host of Local Licks. Pat, welcome to the show. Hey, Adam. Thank you. And hello, Ron. Nice to hear your voice. Yeah, you know, Pat, uh, I'm really excited to have you here because uh, you've done some later in life. You're like me. You know, we're about the same age. And yes. uh, it's just amazing what you've accomplished. So wow. this, is a, this is great. And our audience, I think, will learn a lot about what life is like and you don't have you can live up to your dreams which is really fantastic that's right yeah, yeah. so pat what is what's the what's the elevator pitch for your story we'll obviously dive deep but for people who are just tuning in who may not know what's what's kind of the, the elevator pitch for pat well um in my opinion if i was going to describe myself i'd say um, i'm a person who is driven by um a vision or a goal and then both win and lose a lot in trying to make that goal a reality and doing it around um, everyday life, raising family, having a day job and so on, and not ever giving up on those, those visions, even if those things got in the way for a while. Yes, and that, that's, that's pretty fantastic. You know, you sent over your bio and it's, I mean, obviously you're big in the music industry and have done some really incredible stuff, but you know, a lot of people sometimes think that success is, is overnight, but right. a lot of p- people don't realize is that overnight success is usually years in the making. So it's, and you know, you, you kind of did that where you, you know, you had a dream, you had a vision and you know, sometimes it takes a bit of time, but you made it come true. And I think it's, it's pretty incredible. I, I, um, I would agree with that. Um, and it, it's in this instance, it's, it took me over almost 55 years. <laughs> yeah. But Hey, it's amazing. Yeah, what, what was what was that dream for, for people? Out there? Uh, yeah, I, I as a young boy, and literally everybody, I'm talking about just being a, uh, a uh, eight, nine, 10 year old boy. I, I did have an attraction to music. <clears throat> My um, mother um, um, was a very good singer, and she was a young woman herself. She was maybe just 20 years older than me. And, uh, and so she was listening to a lot of pop music. And um, in that um, exposure, she I could hear her, her beautiful voice. She was a great singer, um, and uh, uh, so I had an attraction to it. But then, I, uh, and many musicians will tell you this, and you know, it's it, it, the anniversary of it is this week in 1964 when when I watched uh, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and I really uh, was just blown away. And I was I was only 12 years old, and I and I looked at that and said, that's something I really would like to do. I really want to be uh, a musician and see if I can be like the, uh, they were. And uh, that was absolutely, uh, guys, uh, uh, opposite of what my father in particular wanted, but both of my parents, they, they just saw that as a dead end. Uh, and they were very quick to tell me that that wasn't something I was going to do. Uh, my dad in particular had laid out a, a roadmap for me. He told me that once I finished Bishop Hartley High School, that I would uh, be headed to Ohio State University and I was going to major in business and specifically in accounting, which I did. And uh, I, I did major in accounting. I actually majored in marketing. Hey, so uh, did I. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, by the way, my dad was so mad that I didn't choose accounting. 
because um, he said, you'll never get laid off as you're an accountant. But he said, in marketing, you're making a mistake. Um, uh, but he was bound and determined that I was going to have a, a college degree. And, and uh, uh, I will tell you, um, he shot down almost any idea of me taking musical lessons. Um, um, they didn't stop me from going to my bedroom after school and turning the radio on and singing and pretending to be a, a, a rock star in my bedroom, literally playing air guitar and, and trying to you know, grasp the harmonies or whatever, I, whatever the song was. Uh, they didn't stop me there. So that was a, maybe in retrospect, a very fortunate uh, break for me. But he was bound and determined that I was going to be a, a businessman. And uh, I will also tell you that, and particularly if there's anybody listening in the music arena, that my father in many ways was right. Uh, because I've seen too many starving musicians in my day who focused only on music and now don't have the skill sets to do other things, uh, particularly in the business arena. My dad uh, set a pattern for me that gave me a, a, a path to a very nice lifestyle. I've been able to raise four children. Um, I've um, uh, done very well as a business person. And uh, uh, so I don't take anything away from dad other than maybe he could have let me learn to play guitar a lot sooner. Yeah. And so when, so you get, you get the whole degree, you get, you're part of the plan, do the thing that, that your parents wanted you to do. Yeah. When did it start, you know, saying, you know what, maybe there is still something to this dream of mine. Yeah. Well, I, I never let go of the dream. So um, in, in, um, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to guess the year, but I'll tell you, I was, well, I was 27 years old. So that would have been around 1979. I'm now married. I have my first child and um um, I get as a Christmas gift, uh, uh, the something I always wanted was my first guitar. And um, um, so I actually started to buy books and teach myself how to play a guitar because ultimately I saw my dream way, way, way out there, guys, but, but it was still out there. And I didn't see myself getting there unless I had an instrument. So I started mm -hmm. to teach myself guitar at age 27. And I started after a while writing uh, original songs. You know. so so did your dad know about the, that you started well, he, playing guitar? He, well, he did. In fact, um, that's a good question. So uh, the answer to that is he did. And even, you know, at that point, by the way, I'd, I'd um, gotten married, as I said, and had a child, but I also had a full-time job. And I went back to night school uh, at uh, Xavier University to get my master's degree. Oh, look at you. Uh, yeah. And so he really didn't have a leg to um, <laughs> stand on because right. I'd actually done everything that he wanted and was now doing a bit more. And, and I also knew that an MBA would be, that was a challenging thing to do at night, but my, I knew that having an MBA would give me a, a, a significant leg up on my uh, fellow businessmen that were all trying to get good jobs and things of that nature. So I didn't let go of that, uh, that, that type of a goal. But he did, he did keep saying to me, you know, Patrick, you can't be doing that. You, you've got a full-time job and a family and you're spending your time doing this. Um, but interestingly, I, I was asked to speak at a, a funeral and because I had become a professional in, and learned how to speak on a microphone, I became a very good professional speaker. And, and because of that, my dad was sitting in the audience and when I, after, the, after the mass was over, he said, you know, you're very good at that. And I said, that's because of the music and the band. And I think he started to get it that you can gain things from being an entertainer that can benefit you in the business arena. And he never let, he never ever approached me about it again. As you know, Pat, I had a stint in the music uh, industry yes. myself at one point in the 
70s. And, um, you know, it's a difficult profession. There's no getting around it. And making it, uh, you know, is just like being a professional baseball or football player or something like that, you know. But a lot of people want to do it. And it sounds glamorous. And it's, it's, it's just nothing but hard work. And uh, mostly spending a lot of time and money uh, in my perspective, you know, I had, I was managing uh, some bands and was fortunate enough to get record contracts and uh, producing concerts, things like that. But at the end of the day, I ended up uh, losing my shirt, so yeah. to speak, and yeah. fortunately became, you know, a business person in, in the construction industry. But uh, so for you to come full circle and that's funny that i say circle <laughs> I but, like that um, unintended you know uh it's pretty amazing and uh, that's why i i hand it to you for Thank sticking you for it out that. and really doing things the right way i appreciate you saying that the um um uh, music business is not very much like any other business ron as you can attest um, um and so for me, I also had to learn that side of the house, and that resulted in a lot of work, but specifically a lot of rejection. I don't know yeah. how many times, oh, Ron, sure. I have been turned down on anything from trying to get a gig to trying to land a deal for, for my bands or uh, trying to get a festival booked or a fair and getting knocked out. I, heard, I hear no 20 times for every one yes I get, and that can be very defeating to almost anybody. And I, and it, it was defeating to me as well. I'm no question about it. Yeah, I mean, once again, I think that's, that's one thing that I think people take for granted when they see all these successful people, they don't necessarily see what lies below the surface and all the no's and failed ideas and things. And it's a, yeah. uh, I think it's a super valuable lesson to let people know that like, just because you get a no, it doesn't mean the journey's over. It means that it's just another part on that journey and you got to keep going. You got to keep yeah. pushing and finding that path to, to success. Adam, that is 120% correct. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's something I think it's easy to like to know, but it's not something that people mostly think about, especially, you know, in the, the age of social media and all this stuff where you see these people rise to like massive success out of nowhere. But it was not out of nowhere. That's like that. I mean, obviously, there's, you know, rare cases, but usually it's it's months and years of, of you know, troubles and strifes. But yeah. you, you're, you're a fighter, you keep going. And you do it. And I think that's inspiring, Pat. And, you know, we're going to continue this story, but unfortunately we do have to take a quick break. So make sure to stay tuned to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN. And we will be right back. Hello and welcome back to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts, Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum and our special guest, Pat McLaughlin, a member of the classic rock band Circle, frontman of the Gas Pump Jockeys and host of Local Licks. And, you know, I do want to remind people before we get back to this awesome story of Pat that Grow Like a Pro is on 610 WTVN live every Saturday. Well, it's recorded, but it goes live every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But also, if you miss a segment, if you want to go back and listen to some of our incredible guests we've had in the past, it is available on podcast services all around the world at the same time. So make sure to check it out on your favorite podcast service. And if you want to be a part of the show, if you want to ask questions to our guests, if you want to help tell your story to help others grow like a pro, please send an email to hello at growlikeaproshow.com. Once again, that is hello at growlikeaproshow.com. And now without further ado, I'd love to jump back into this story, Pat. And I kind of want to jump in before we get to the whole, you know, music side of really, 
you know, grasping that dream and making it come true. I kind of want to dive a little bit deeper into this, this plan that your parents had, because, you know, a lot of times kids resent parents' plans and plans that get put in place. So when you had to go, you know, did, you did the whole business school thing. You did, you got the, you got the job, you did great for yourself, but was there a lot of resentment there or was, is, is, did you kind of come to enjoy it? And I, I mean, you mentioned it a bit before that you kind of were thankful for the foundations that your parents spent, but I'm kind of curious how, how that journey was a bit. Well, um, on that particular area, I never had a, a feeling of resentment toward um, uh, either parent with, re, with regards to not going into music. Now, I will admit that I had a sense of, of uh, loss um, in that I started to see people my own age performing and um, perhaps uh, maybe, the, uh, maybe a sense of jealousy or, or envy. I'm not quite sure, but it, it never was something that engulfed me. Yeah. Um, I did understand what my father was trying to get to his, his three sons, what he wanted them to do. And we all, we all graduated from college. And, Great. Uh, I have one brother that has more degrees than me. And, and um, um, uh, so I, I, I get that and I got it early and life actually will hit you right in the face. So once you're married and you start having children, you start to look at what's the right decision to make and uh, going and pursuing my business um, um, uh, career was far more um, believable, plausible, possible to uh, um, make happen and keep my family safe. So I never resented my parents. Again, as I said in the first segment, um, my dad was right. He, he did put me on a good path. We could have probably had the circles crossed where I could have been both a, a, a performer as I ended up being uh, and maybe in those days, maybe learning to play an instrument and still studying and doing other things. Yeah, it's uh, it's well, it's, it's great to hear that it kind of worked out and you were still were able to make things happen. And, you know, it sounds like you had a great long career. So, I mean, I'm assuming you're retired now. So now that, that it kind of mm -hmm. gave you the chance to, to maybe really put more focus on that dream. Well, um, it did. I mean, uh, for just to give you a quick history background from a business standpoint, um, I finished my, my grad, I worked, I worked as a sales manager locally for eight years uh, in the off supply industry. And then uh, as I was nearing my graduation from, from Xavier, uh, I really set my sights on trying to be uh, in a Fortune 500 business. So I, I even set goals within the business side to try to get into those uh, um, uh, types of businesses. And uh, you know, I graduated in June of 84, but it took until February of 87. Got turned down a lot on my interviews. Um, um, uh, but I finally got hired by a firm that's no longer around called MCI Telecommunications. That was the first entity to really take on AT&T with regards to long distance. Okay. So many of your listeners are too young to remember that. But uh, AT&T grew immensely, uh, particularly while I was there. And we were the 20th largest company at the, at the time. Uh, in the in the uh, United States, when when uh, I left them, and I ultimately landed at the competitor, I landed AT and T, and I spent the balance of my uh, career there um, uh, working for them. And I um, also set goals once I got inside either of those two companies. I always started at an entry level position on the sales side, and I managed my way to become a sales manager, then become a, a director, or excuse me, an executive director. Uh, worked my way up the ladders at both of those companies. So that um, I had, you know, more recognition, more um, revenue, and security was never 
uh, satisfied. You, you never knew with secure, you know, you never knew if you were secure in these jobs because they, they were so volatile. But, mm -hmm. um, but, I was able to, but I was able to provide a really good lifestyle, probably better than I think my dad even dreamt of. If he was still with us, he would, he would express a lot of pride in how I managed that side of my world. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you did retire, what, what were you doing? What was kind of the, the end so my, process? My last, my last job at AT&T, I um, had spent the last four or five years being an executive director in the marketing department. And at the time, uh, a couple of years earlier, AT&T had gone into the television business. And so I was the uh, marketing manager at the, at the uh, regional level for Ohio, Michigan, and Indiana, um, trying to get our salespeople and our, uh, our retail outlets. And we had so many different ways that people could buy Uverse um, and try to get people to switch from one cable company to the other. And a lot of it was coming up with grassroots marketing campaigns that we would incorporate and then generate activity on it. One of the more proud things I, I ever had happen is way back around 12, 2012, um, I identified uh, targeting the LGBTQ community in Columbus, which if a lot of people don't know is Columbus is a very, very uh, friendly town with regards to um, uh, that segment of the population. And around 20% of our population is, is, is identified as L LGBTQ. And it was really a controversial item at AT&T, but I stuck to my guns on this because I just thought this is a great audience to to get our our um, our, um, our services exposed to, and what ended up occurring is not only was it a huge marketing success across the United States, but I was very proud that in 2012 I got nominated and was one of three people that, including the mayor of Columbus, um, uh, at the um, gay the uh, gay um, weekend we have in June, the Gay Pride weekend, and uh, I was one of the three straight um, uh, recipients uh, of of individuals supporting. Um, um, the business from a business community, the, the um, LGBTQ audience. I'm very proud of that this very day, guys. Has nothing to do with music, has nothing, it's just something that really sets well with me. Yeah, that they, they paid me that compliment. That's great. I mean, said, yeah, it's a testament to you know, giving back and just being being a very great person and getting out there and doing doing good things. So it's like it's you a know, testament it, to the story, you know, it takes, I think. With what I know, and we're going to talk about what you're doing now, you know, you really set the table pretty well for doing it as, uh, you know, I kind of had the reverse type of career, but, uh, you know, I got an award a few years ago and they called me uh, from uh, Business First uh, as a uh, serial entrepreneur, as the CEO award. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of things in life to, to, really the experience to really um, bring to any industry. And, uh, you know, the marketing background is obviously you couldn't do anything better in the music industry and having rather than having a sales and, and marketing background, because that's really what it's about, you know, obviously about talent, but there's a lot of talented people out there. And I think the differentiator is uh, being able to uh, market it properly and uh, be able to take those no's. So, uh, you're, you're absolutely right on that, Ron. And, and I think I've been able to move these post-AT&T opportunities um, pr primarily because I do have that marketing sense. And so I, I speak a language a lot of times that a few business people understand, but most musicians do not. Right. And it's given me a little bit of an edge. Yeah, yeah I can right understand. Times. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the foundation was there for success and you, you knew how to use it. And it's a, it's a great thing. And unfortunately, we do have to take one more short break. But when we get sure. back, we're really going to dive into the music side of Pat finally. Yeah. So make sure to stay tuned to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN. And we will be right back. Hello and welcome back to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum and our special guest Pat McLaughlin, a member of the classic rock band Circle, frontman of the Gas Pump Jockeys and host of Local Licks. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are at the time where Pat gets to talk about his dream. He, he had a successful business career. He made some great things happen, was great to the community, his family and all this stuff. And he was finally able to turn his dream into reality. And I, I want to hear the story, Pat. So why don't you just start us, you know, kind of at the beginning and tell sure. us what happened? Well, thank you for uh, letting me cover this part of it. I, I will tell you that um, as we talked about uh, in the first half of the show, I had always wanted to be in some form of entertainment group, and I never really lost the sight of trying to make it big in the entertainment arena. Um, um, but it comes in small, small steps. And the, um, as, as, as I was learning to be a writer, um, I came up with a song that I thought was going to be, it was a pretty good song. And, and uh, um, I thought there was a, there was a, uh, Songwriters uh, contest that was offered by um, Levi Jeans, which is still out there. I don't know if Skull Tobacco's out there, but you all might remember their their pat phrase was uh, just a pinch between your cheek and gum. And, <laughs> and um, what what they did is they were evaluating songs, and I thought, well, I need to. I, if I'm going to make this happen, I need to get a, um, a studio band together. So I went to a friend named Bob Walker, uh, one of my mentors. And, and um, played him my song through a tape recorder. He felt good enough about it, and he put together a studio band. We went down to Amerisound Studios when they were downtown, and we cut the song Boise, Idaho, and I submitted it. I really didn't think anything was going to come of it, but I was really stunned when I got a letter in the mail that said, congratulations, you're one of the four finalists. And they said, you and your band are going to be expected to perform in Marysville, Ohio, where you'll do a 20, 30 minutes set, and you'll have to play that song as a part of your show. And I remember being very elated for about five seconds, and I go, wait a minute, I don't have a band. <laughs> so so I, I went back to Bob again, and he got everybody back together, and we did that 25, 30-minute show oh, man. Uh, and finished as the runner-up. It, it would have been great to win that thing, but I will tell you what did happen was I got what they call a, a high, uh, and I knew then that I always wanted to go back and and continue to be uh, an artist. And so we kept that band together for the most part. I mean, all bands have turnover, but the Cimarron band stayed together for uh, from 1984 until 2000. And we were invited to Nashville. A lot of people probably don't know that. We did go to Nashville and um, we cut, uh, we submitted 20 songs to the people that were interested in us. They chose 10. And I was happy to say that I had seven of them. We also took one of my compositions and decided it was a little too poppy and not put it on a, uh, the album, and so I had seven of the nine cuts. And uh, I'm happy to tell you, everybody, we'd set a we'd set a goal for a million units of sales, and we only missed it by nine hundred ninety nine thousand. <laughs> That's a success Just in my eyes. Come much. on, <laughs> and uh, it, it tanked. And there are reasons why it tanked, but uh, and we can always come back at a later time if anybody wants to learn about it. By the time we came back from Nashville and the album didn't work, I would say figuratively, our our uh, tails were kind of drooping towards the uh, ground. 
And by 2000, I realized that Cimarron was, had worn out. It wasn't going to make it to the visions that I had. And at that point, my visions were, I wanted to start playing fairs and festivals. So I made one of the more harder decisions. I had to leave my mentors, the guys that really took me from, from a nobody uh, all the way through this experience with Cimarron. I left them behind. And I still grieve that in some ways to this very day. I, I hurt some people's feelings uh, on it. But I made the right decision in retrospect because we put together a band that's, you know, um, ident we, we identify classic rock in those days as a place to go. So we created an image that creates a brand. The gas pump jockeys look just like, like the name. We look like gas attendants from the 70s and 60s. And we play music uh, associated with what would happen when somebody would drive up to a gas station to get refueled. A guy would come out and he'd put gas in your car and he'd check your tires and oil and he'd wipe off your windows. And, and then when you're all done, he'd hand you a fistful of uh, green stamps. And we look like gas attendants and we play music from that era. And that caught on and it's worked very well. And it did in fact get us into festivals and fairs and, and uh, out of the bar scene for the most part. And, and uh, uh, that has been a vehicle that has worked very, very well and continues to this day uh, being a good product um, for, for uh, my, that part of my entertainment. But what came out of the Gas Pump Jockeys, everybody, was in uh, 2014, one of my players, my bass, my, uh, bass player, um, was dealing with some health issues. And so he had to leave. And at that time, his good friend in the band was our keyboard player. And he, he by the way, provided the PA system. The bass player provided the vehicle to get the PA system around. And we also had a nice light display. Those were all going to go with them. So, um, um, and then my lead guitar player, who's still with the Gas Pump Jockeys, announced at the same meeting that maybe he thought he might like to, to, to try something uh, other than us. And so there was, um, uh, within about a five minute window, I lost my bass player, my keyboard, I lost my lead guitar player, I lost my PA system, I lost my lights, and uh, I, I just had just my drummer, Scott Langley and I. And Scott and I looked at each other and said, I still think we can make this work. And so we went out and recruited new players, very talented players, one of which was Mike Loskamp. And um, Loskamp, as it turns out, was an old friend of mine from AT&T. I uh, had researched him once I found out he was in the circle and I networked with him. I wanted to stay close to him in case I could ever work with Mike in some, some way down the line. And that line finally came up. And, and that was, my goodness, probably 10, 12, 14 years that, that little moment that I just told you finally came to fruition. And, and I helped Mike out over the years with some of his bands. Um, and ultimately, when I said I needed a keyboard player, Mike was available. And so we brought him into the band. And as good as the gas pump jockeys were then, it went up markedly with Mike and, and our new bass player. And so um, things were really going well. At that point, in around 2015, I've just retired, and I'm now looking for things that I would like to do, never, ever letting go of being that air guitar player in my bedroom at age 12. And, um, and now I wanted to take a shot at the National Arena. And with Mike Loskamp in the band, and by the way, Mike hadn't seen anybody in the circle for 50 years. He had not even talked to his oh, other bandmates. And so it was a real hunt. I, I, I liken it to, I jokingly tell people, it was like trying to find a haystack and a pile of needles because I searched up and down the East Coast to try to find uh, surviving members of the circle to see if they'd be interested in reforming and going out for a 50th year anniversary tour using the gas pump jockeys as a support uh, uh, um, tool. And guys, I have to tell you all, what a, that was a real challenge. I first had to go out and secure, I, I, I couldn't believe that the, uh, the trademark 
was sitting dormant. So I was able to acquire the trademark to the brand. And um, once I did that, I really had a, an advantage, but, uh, and I thought maybe I could just use, uh, use that with Mike Loskamp and promote it through that way. But I talked to a lot of people who had advised me that you really should do, a, you, should, you really need a second member from that lineup to make it a legitimate uh, proposition. So that's where I started searching all over the Eastern half of the United States for the three of the original five, three of the surviving members were still with us. And of course we had Mike in the band. And so um, um, it was really something. I mean, I finally found the drummer in Southfield, Michigan. He wouldn't take my calls for a long time because he was a lawyer and uh, he was in the bankruptcy arena, but he finally responded to an email and he said, I know what you're trying to accomplish and I'm just not interested. Okay, he's off the list. I found the, um, um, uh, another member is a surgeon in Green Gainesville, Florida. And I didn't ever talk to, I've since, since talked to him a lot, but in those days I thought his value to that community is far more important than being in a band. So I had to set my sights on finding the lead singer and the lead guitar player, Don Daneman. And if you would laugh at how many Don Daneman, age appropriate Don Danemans that I bothered over about a six to 10 month period um, until I found the right Don Daneman. Uh, actually, I didn't find Don. I, I had purchased a software package that gave me telephone numbers. Hell, Ron, I bet you I could probably with that software package tell you what your boyhood phone number was. I mean, it was really good. And yet they didn't have Don Daneman, but they did have a woman by the name of Eileen Daneman. And, and she had six telephone numbers attached to her lifetime. And so I thought maybe by chance that was her. So I started making phone calls and on the sixth and last phone number, this woman answers. And it turns out that she was in fact, Eileen Daneman and that she was once married to Don. And um, she was kind enough to give me, she didn't, she and Don didn't have a relationship at all anymore, but they did have a son together. And she gave me his cell phone number and told me to text him. She was very fat, emphatic, text him a phone call or message. And so I did, and the very next day he wrote me back and said, I just want, I just send me Mike Loskamp's telephone number, which was smart, he's protecting his dad. And uh, cause he didn't know me from Adam. And uh, three days after that, Mike called me up and said, you're not gonna believe this, but I spoke to Don Daneman. And uh, after that, we had two business meetings with the band, but with Don over a, um, a two 90 minute meetings to discuss nothing about art. It was all about business and how we would manage the uh, funding and the business model and all the things that I would had built, uh, built up. And when I did that, and then I'll never forget, he said uh, at the end of that second 90 minute call, you seem like a nice bunch of guys, I'm in. Oh man. And wow. we're Dan, I'm starting to tear up. It's really <laughs> oh, a big moment. That. That's, that's incredible. I mean, I, I think you might've had a career in private investigation in your future too, Pat. Yeah, I should. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but 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 you know, again, I just never let si let go of the of the goal. Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, I never let go. You made you and, made uh, it happen. That's what I think is is most well, impressive. Like you didn't, it wasn't it, given to you. You made it happen. Well, and what's interesting is, you know, obviously you had a reason. I, I always wondered, well, why the circle of all things? But you know, it was because of your relationship. Uh, with you one know, um, it is. I I I'm a believer that. Um, you know, you, you can say, well, boy, you're really lucky. You're, you, you know a guy that can do your taxes or you know some guy can help you move or whatever. I'm a believer that if you, you're not, you have to create that luck by, by going out and meeting and shaking hands and getting to know as many people as you can. And then you really will enhance your ability to find those people that may be of a benefit to you down the line. That's real tough well, for a guy who's, 
in my case, you know, I, 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 um, I deal with shyness. I get, I, I, I don't take, I don't jump into these things as quickly as others. I have to muster up a little bit of courage to do any of these. Yeah. To, you know, well, uh, you married the right woman. Cause I do remember Sandy. You yeah. Know, yeah. She was a champion. And, you know, and, uh, and a lot of, um, a lot of wise, you, you know, if you're out there in the music world, guys and gals, make sure you have a spouse that really is supportive of this. And we call them, we've got right now, the circle's got some wonderful band wives. We're truly blessed. And I am probably the best of the, the blessed because she's been behind me since the get go. You know, unfortunately, once again, we do have to take a quick break before our final segment, before we must let Pat go. But I think we, I have a feeling we may have to have him back in the future because I feel like there's a lot more of this story to tell. Mm -hmm. But we'll stay tuned for a little bit more with Pat on 610 WTVN. So make sure to stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to Grow Like a Pro on 610 WTVN with your hosts Adam Bankhurst and Ron Greenbaum and our special guest Pat McLaughlin, a member of the classic rock band Circle, frontman of the Gas Pump Jockeys and host of Local Licks. And unfortunately, my friends, we are once again at our final segment where we have to soon say goodbye to Pat, but not before he gets to share a bit more wisdom and a bit more of his story. So, you know, without further ado, Pat, why don't you just continue and tell us a bit more about the Circle and kind of what the future holds for you guys? Oh, well, sure, I'll be glad to. The Circle became the only band, uh, um, American band, to be managed by Brian Epstein, who sadly passed away very prematurely in August of 1967. The Circle is also a band that had the opportunity to um, be the opening act for the Beatles on the 1966 tour of the United States. So every arena and every stadium that the Beatles played in in that month of August of 66, and that includes Shea Stadium, um, and parks all across the country, all the way to the Beatles' very last public performance at Candlestick Park uh, in uh, late August of 1966. The Circle was there and was the opening act. And so they, they come with a great deal of pedigree. The band had another huge hit called Turn Down Day. And if you didn't know, because a lot of radio stations don't play the other hits, but we had four more hits that made the Billboard Top 100. And, uh, um, and then the band disbanded after the death of Epstein. Um, Epstein's death impacted a lot of bands. He had Jerry and the Pacemakers, and he had Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. He had Solo Black. He had the Fortunes. They all didn't have any success after Epstein passed away. And it's my opinion that because of the Beatles' lack of business knowledge, they ultimately break up in 1970 uh, because they didn't have a Brian Epstein in their world. So uh, the circle comes with a great deal of, uh, of, uh, of historical background. And uh, uh, it's a thrill now. 50 years, they didn't see each other and play with each other. And then all of a sudden, back in 2016, we had our first uh, public performance um, to record a, a promotional video as well as a, a new album. The first time they ever covered a live album called Full Circle. And then um, uh, we've been touring until the pandemic hit all over the United States. Typically, we're on bills with other acts of our day. So we've been on with like the Gary Puck and the Union Gap or Paul Revere's Raiders or... Um, um, uh, you know, the lead singer from the uh, Chuck Negron from Three Dog Night. I mean, the list I have is probably running 30, 35 names of acts that I used to sing in my bedroom with, playing my air guitar and learning to sing like Gary Puckett or, or the Vogues or whomever. Uh, and now I get to share dressing rooms with them and, and go on stage with these guys. It's, it's mind boggling, even for myself, even though that was the goal I had set back in 1964. Yeah, I think it's just incredible too that, yeah, like you said, it's you, you helped make it happen and you're kind of living that, that dream. And it's, it's, it's a great thing, Pat, it really is. Well, thank you. 
And so, you know, unfortunately we do have to bring our show to a close, but I do want to give you a bit of time to talk about, you also have a show that you do all about oh. music and stuff. And I'd, I'd be curious to see kind of what that show is, you know, real quickly. And then yeah. also how people can get in touch with you and look forward to more from the circle. Okay. Thank you. I, I recognize well cause I, since I do have my own show that time is a factor here. So everybody on uh, you're nice enough to do that for me, Adam is um, I also host a show called local licks spelled L I X local licks. And um, it was brought to me by a gentleman by the name of, of uh, Mike Schnell. He's a person attached to another radio station out of Marysville. And he had done some work with the gas pump jockeys. He and I got along and still do get along very well together. And so we, um, he offered me a sh an opportunity to do my own show. And I really gave it a lot of thought as to whether I wanted to do this. This was not something on my list of things I had, had dreamt about doing. But I, I, um, I decided to go about, about it. My first guest was John Schwab, uh, which added a great deal of credibility. For those who don't know, he's the founder, founding member of McGuffey Lane that Ron worked with for years and years. And, and um, I started just inviting people to come in. And it turned out that most of our local people had never been invited in to do an interview about their, their, their career paths. And as we got into these stories, they are fascinating. You, they all, a lot of them have great stories to tell and had great success. And they were thrilled at, at, with all this pent up stories they had to have a vehicle to put it out. And the, the doggone show started to catch on. And, and before you know it, they, they, they got added to some other uh, networks. And before we had, we had five uh, stations that were carrying it around the, the, uh, the, uh, a weekend. And um, pretty soon I started getting approached by people out of Nashville that wanted to maybe promote their careers and using it as a way to do some regional work. So I started expanding off of that. And then as the circle came about, I started talking to the people I was doing shows with. And so suddenly I've got this um, product now that has really uh, caught on. And I'm very proud of that. And I don't want to let go because it's truly important to me, uh, Ron and Adam, that I get these stories told, I get them documented. And I, I'm going to, I'm setting up a new website where, and I'm going to pay well in advance. I'm going to buy like 12, 15 years in advance so that these stories can remain online so that if anybody wants to learn about anybody from the Central Ohio market and their career, that not only can they go to that link and hear that story, but hear it in the artist's own voice. And that to me is something I'm going to leave behind for Columbus to deal with and enjoy and hopefully appreciate. Well, that's, that's fantastic. That's man. great. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And also, so lastly, how can people listen to the show? How can people get in touch with you and stay tuned for more circle stuff? Okay. So to right now, um, um, uh, Local Licks is on WDLRAM and um, FM, 12.70 12 on the AM side, 96.7 on the FM side. And um, uh, there's been a lot of transactions going on behind the scenes. So I don't know where the other three stations are going to end up lying. That's why right now at, at uh, 8 p.m. on Sunday nights, you can hear that show. At least I know it's still there on those two. And I've been happy that I've been added with the Dave Winham to his Re Re Remedy Radio Network. So he, we're forming a syndicate together. And we're hopeful that we'll be able to move our products around the uh, country. That's a, that's a big goal. And that's actually coming to fruition right now because I, I believe I'll be in Goldmine Magazine now with online so that they'll be able to hear my interviews. And I just got um, approached by a company out of Syracuse just last night. So I think things are starting to open up there. That's and and um, if they want to find out about the circle, there's a couple of great ways to do it. And, and for that matter, the gas pump jockeys are the same way. So the circle is just what you would think, www.vcyrkle.com, thecircle.com. 
We also have a Facebook page and certainly like us. You'll learn everything we're doing as we're now getting bookings again for this upcoming fall. That'll be great. Um, and then uh, the Gas Pump Jockeys, is, believe it or not, thegaspumpjockeys.com. There you go. And easy enough. We also have the Gas Pump Jockeys page there as well. And we would love you to like us because we certainly do our best to play around our hometowns whenever we aren't on the road. Well, that's fantastic. Oh, and Local Licks. You can do Local Licks Facebook too. I beg your pardon. Perfect. No worries. All good. Yeah, well, sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. Pat, I wish we could have you on for so much longer, but unfortunately we do have to end this show, but sure. I just want to thank you so much for helping share your story. And it seems like there's so much more to tell. So like I said, we'll definitely have to have you back in the future, but Pat, thank you so much. So. Really? Thank you. everybody. We're so glad that we were able to reconnect Pat and uh, have you on because it's a great story. Definitely. But yeah, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank you so much, Pat. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, listeners. And I do want to remind people, if you want to catch Grow Like a Pro, if you missed any of this segment or any past shows you want to catch up on, they're available on podcast services around the globe, as well as on 610 WTVN every Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you want to be a part of the show, send an email to hello at growlikeaproshow.com. Once again, that is hello at growlikeaproshow.com. And until next week, till we have another incredible guest sharing their stories, helping you grow like a pro. We just hope you have the best day and or night. And we look forward to coming back each and every week with another episode. So until then, have a great one, friends. Goodbye.